0: Good morning. morning. Glad you're here. If you had to wait to get in, um, it was the Lord's fault. How about that right there? So it was good. Um, Real quickly, I've got a couple of things and then we'll jump into our new series, our Easter series called What If. Uh, The first one, let me show you a quick video. It's the latest update from the inside of the building. This is in the worship center and that's the platform. Uh, that they're building out right there. They've painted most of it, the ceilings and the side. They still need to do the back wall, obviously, uh, but they were waiting to get that uh, that built right there. I think that's close to the world's biggest platform, to be honest with you. <laughs> Thing turned out to be humongous. That's where in the that's the the sound booth right there. Um, and then in the front, they are tearing that out and putting in new stairs as a new entrance. And then there'll be an edifice that goes over it, kind of a covering that goes down uh, a lot of the length of the building right there to make it look more like a church, but to allow people to be able to drive up and be out of the weather when they pull in there. And as Pastor Jake said, like taking the tour, I think we've probably taken a couple of hundred people through uh, the building at this point. Terry and I were trying to add it up in between. Todd, is that... uh, Yeah, we probably haven't kept count, but just adding up an average tour is eight to nine people, and we've done, you know, 20 of them at least. Um, So we think around 200 people have gone through, right? Maybe 15% of our church want to invite you to go through it. Seeing it on a video, honestly, it's the 3D effect is completely lost when it's flat like that. And then it's dark, right? And you just can't tell. And I, I just want to encourage you to go and see it We'll just light a fire inside of you for the excitement of what we're trying to do, what it looks like, where you will have a particular ministry in there. Like if you're raising children, when you see what we're doing uh, with the children's area, or if you have teenagers, you can look at that, or men's ministry, women's ministry, or just, hey, what, you know, what's the worship center going to be like? Or the foyer, hey, is the coffee going to be good? Better than it's ever been, to be honest with you. Um, and just the whole look of it is just fantastic. And if you haven't signed up and taken a tour do that. I really do think it is worth your time. It takes about a half hour, you know, 30 to 40 minutes, depending on the questions that we get asked. And then, of course, if you want to see the Teaching and Training Center, which is the wheel that's really behind, the vision behind what's driving a new facility for us, love to show that to you and explain what that means and why we're doing uh, what we're doing. So, if you haven't taken a tour, sign up. We'd love to take you through it, and it's a great time to look at it. It's so close now, you can tell what everything is, right? When it's just steel, you know, you have to, like, this is going to be a room and this is going to be that. But they've built it out now where you it's, you know, if they'd let us, I'd start meeting in it next week, to be honest with you. But they have laws against those things right now, so I uh, can't do that. So love to do that. Um, so, it, which also brings up, then, what we're trying to do with our fundraising. And this last little part of our fundraising, right, um, we needed $2 million in this last part. We've raised $1,250,000 750,000 is needed for our two million goal. Here's the way that we're trying to break it down too. We need 1,000 chairs, 800 in the worship center and 200 uh, in the youth center. And so um, we we just took at the time, we needed $1.2 million, we had raised 800,000 at that point, we needed 1.2, so we divided it by the 1,000 chairs, it's $1,200 a chair, and we were just asking people, would you consider buying a chair to break this down in a way that makes it much more affordable and understandable. Um, and so maybe the way to look at it, what Chris and I have done is bought one for everybody in our household right now. That doesn't mean everybody in my family in our house right now. <laughs> Couldn't do that for everybody in our family right now. But, um, but in our house uh, also, maybe, maybe you have already given to that. Would you consider buying a chair for a person who will sit in it? who will come to know Jesus. Would you invest with us evangelistically? And if you're like, does that stuff really still happen? Two weeks ago, the last time I taught, we had 20 people born again uh, between both services. First time coming to Jesus. Yeah, it does happen. If you're here for Easter, you will see a remarkable thing happen at Easter too, where literally there'll be 100 people or more that'll give their hearts to the Lord uh, at that time. It's something that we take serious. And we believe that as we move into this building, it's something the Lord will multiply and if you feel like pastor you know you're talking about this every weekend folks it's my job it's what I do it's what I have to do at this point to get this done I'm not building my church this will outlast Chris and I by till Jesus comes back I don't know what day that is exactly but it will outlast us uh, by far we are building what he told us to do and if you have been here through this time you know this started December the 26th in the middle of the pandemic in 2020 Literally, it started in the middle. So either that's like the greatest foolish failure you could do or God's been with us the whole time. He's been with us the whole time. It's been remarkable and it's been r- miraculous. And so this last little bit, we just need to do this and finish this. Uh, I'd like you to pray about it. Um, my love, you weren't here in the first service and I committed um, us to something. So let me tell you about what I committed us to. Uh, <laughs> I, I like had motorcycles ever since I was a, a kid Dirt bikes initially and then street bikes and, um, and still have them today. And so usually if I have a bike and I feel like the Lord moves in my heart to do something with it, I have put them up for auctions. We've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars using that as seed money. The most recent time was right before we started this project. Our missionaries in the middle of the pandemic were really hurting bad. And so um, I was going to use the motorcycle as seed for this project with our building. But I felt the Lord say... You take care of my heart, and I'll take care of your heart. So we put the motorcycle up. We gave all of I think we raised $250,000 for our missionaries in a time that was very difficult for them. And, um, and then I'm like, now I have no seed for the building. But the Lord, literally starting on December 26th, we raised $4 million in 90 days starting on December 26th. Only God can do things like that, right? All right, so here's what I committed us to. In my garage right now are two bikes. Um, my bike And then my project bike. And my wife has been very patient, like, when is this project going to be done and get it out of the garage? So it is done. I have built a custom. uh, For those who know, it's a Harley-Davidson Street Glide, a 2013 10,000 miles, something like that, 9,000 miles. Um, It's got custom everything, jet black, beautiful bike. Um, If you were just like, man, that's the word of the Lord for me. Uh, (laughs) Here's what I'll do. Uh, if someone wants to buy it, all the money for it, I'll give it to the building uh, right now and buy as many chairs as that. What do I think it's worth? $2.3 million. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll settle for anything south of that. How's that right there? <laughs> I think book on that bike is 13 dollars or $14,000, um, and I've put a little more than that into it uh, total, but whatever. If someone says, hey, I'll give you $8,000 for it, whatever. I'll sell it and we'll put all the money into it. What I'm trying to say to you and I'm not trying to, it's not bragging, it's not showing off. It is saying to you that we would not ask you to do anything that the staff is not doing first. Before I ever came to you to ask you to consider giving to this, the first place that Chris and I was, Lord, what do you want us to do? And then we went to the staff next. Staff, will you get behind this? Before I ever come to you, if the staff's not willing to do it, it's hypocritical to ask people to do something. I just, it's how we believe and what we've done, I can assure you, man, the staff has stood up strong to be a part of this as well as you have. And so if, if anybody's got that in their heart and wants to do that, uh, you'd be helping my wife uh, tremendously for space in our garage. Um, and it's a beautiful bike. Don't ride it to church so I don't see it. Um, yeah, that would be the only... No, I'm just teasing about that. But it literally, if that is something... I didn't think about that until I was standing up here in the first service. It wasn't what I was going to do with it, but um, I would do it in a second in order to uh, continue to move along this. And so see me afterwards or email in if you want to check it out. Happy to show it to you. Um, and then we'll go. We'll go from there. Um, and then the last thing. Forgive this extra time. It just is the way it worked out this weekend. Our Israel trip is August 27th through September 6th. Um, and this year, it's it's crazy. If you've tried to book a vacation uh, this summer, you've probably recognized that people who have put it off for the past two two and a half years are all trying to go on vacation this summer. So things are like more expensive and they're all sold out. It's it's really tough. Israel's the same way. People that haven't been able to go for more than two years are all trying to go right now. I was only able to secure spots for 40 people on this trip, and we've already got 25 people that have signed up for the trip, so at least 15 people. So I'm not pushing you. I'm just trying to say, if you have any interest in it, now's the time uh, to become involved. Talk to Amy, which is my daughter and my admin. She'll be out there in the foyer after, or you can look online, or you can call into the church. Uh, if you have any heart to go, I believe you should investigate it before you say it's impossible. Come talk to us. We'll work with you. We'll try to help you. This is not a vacation, by the way. If you're thinking, like, that would be an awesome summer vacation, it is not an awesome summer vacation. This is hard work, to be honest with you, right? We're going we're gonna to run where Jesus walked. That's the easiest way I can tell you. And it's a spiritual journey, not simply a beautiful place to go and see And for those that have been with me, you know, when I preach the message today, I will tie in why everybody should go to Israel at least one time in their life. Right now, you read your Bible in black and white, ink and paper. You will read it in high definition. It will be in your mind in a different way to experience the places that you read about. It strengthens your faith. It gives you a new resolve. And and one of the things that my preaching will never do, it'll give you a heart for Israel that I can't give you by just talking about it. And I would love for you to go. And when I say Israel too, by the way, I'm not talking about the government of Israel. That's, that's not. I'm talking about Israel, the Holy Land, right? The place where Jesus was born and where he walked and where he grew up and where he gave his life and where he's resurrected and where he'll come back to when he comes back to the earth. That's what the Bible says. So I'd uh, love to take you there. If you have any desire whatsoever... Uh, see Amy, because it'll go quick. We hope that we'll have it uh, taken care of in the next couple of weeks. Okay, the series is called What If? And here's the tension that we're going to try to create over the next few weeks for Easter. What if Jesus had said no? What if when he prayed to the Father, take this cup from me, the Father had said okay? What if there was no resurrection? The Apostle Paul said, we're to be pitied above all creatures if there is no resurrection, because what we're doing then really has no significance and we're fooling ourselves in this life. But the truth is, there is a resurrection. And so it's worth it all. But we're going to use the tension of what if and talk about what would life would look like. Now the problem with, of course, is we're speculating. And when you speculate, who knows 100% if it would be that way. But some things are pretty self-evident. And that's only the beginning of the message, the real heart of the message I'll get into. And you'll see why it took you a little while to get in here from the first service when I get to that part of it right there. So what if Jesus said no? I'm going to read from Mark's account of Jesus's betrayal, his arrest, after he left the upper room and went to the Garden of Gethsemane, we're just going to look at what that part was like, and I'm going to use Mark's gospel to explain it. So this is Mark 14, 32 through 41, so these nine verses. They is the disciples in Jesus. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane means oil press. So there's always two things going on when you read Scripture. There's the physical thing that they're actually in Gethsemane, and then there's what it means. Gethsemane being oil press is the place that Jesus went to to be pressed or crushed for us. Jesus was born in the town of, where was he born? You know what I heard? <laughs> and Kathy Melson said Bethlehem. So now, very good. Bethlehem means house of bread, and Jesus is the bread of life, right? All of these things have a double... You can just see God's brilliance. We're doing subtraction and addition, and God's doing quantum mechanics on us. Man, it's awesome to look at how the Lord moves. So they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. I'm going to take the time and tell you about Gethsemane real quick. Gethsemane is a place full of olive trees. And um, when the Jews rebelled against the Romans after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected several years after the Romans decided to squish uh, Israel once and for all. And so, man, they decimated Jerusalem. And one of the things they did, they cut down every tree around Jerusalem for miles so that the Jews couldn't rebuild Jerusalem. And one of the things they cut down were all of the olive trees. But olive trees have a remarkable uh, ability to them in that it's not enough to just cut them down. You have to dig them out or they'll grow back again. And so after several years, those same olive trees that Jesus was praying by They began to regrow. And olive trees, they're remarkable for this too. They can live for one, two, we're not exactly sure how long an olive tree can live. But in the Garden of Gethsemane are the trees that Jesus went to to pray. How about they're the descendants of those trees? Because after they were cut down, they've grown back up. And the best comparison I can give you is like the redwoods. If you've ever been to the redwoods, not tall But why? These are not skinny olive trees. These are humongous olive trees that are like 30 or 40 feet in circumference to walk around them. I've never seen anything like it. They're trees that are 2,000 years old from the time of Jesus. And there's a part of the garden that I learned about many years ago. Um, The Catholics own this particular part of the Garden of Gethsemane. The open part is where everybody goes to and it's so noisy. There's so many tourists. You can't even take any time to pray or think. But I found out if you bribe the Catholic priest, 100 bucks is usually what it takes, sometimes 200 depending on the mood that he's in, but it's the best money I spend when I'm there. I give him, there's a gate that the Catholics own around a part of the garden, and he'll unlock it. Our group goes in, he locks it again, and we have this part of the garden just to ourselves. And then I talk about this scripture right here and what Jesus was thinking about when he was willing to lay down his life. And if you want to know what it is, he was thinking about you. And Patty was thinking about you. And Mommy was thinking about you. And Chrissy was thinking about you. Ryan, he was thinking about you. Todd, I don't know. But Becca, he might have been thinking about you. (laughs) I was thinking about you, Todd. Last, but you know. And it's just a cool place that I can take you. And then when we're done teaching about this, what I do is I allow people to go off either as couples or by themselves. And just encourage them to take 20 or 30 minutes and just spend time thinking about how much God loves you. And it's a place that every time we've been there, it's one of the more significant places where someone has an experience with God. So that when we walk out of there, they're no longer the same. It's this knowledge that, like, you can read the scripture, but it's like some things can't be learned by reading. You have to go and experience it for yourself. Does that make sense? And I'd love to take you there. Man, I'd love to take you there. And if not this year... Maybe next year. So they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, Olive Press. And Jesus said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John. These are the three disciples that he was closest to with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told the disciples, my soul is, what's that word? So this is not, what I want you to get out of this, this is not like a stressful thing. Because that wouldn't come close enough to what he's about to go through. I think it's John's gospel. Maybe it is, maybe it's Luke. I think it's John. Where right when they are leaving the upper room, it's just this little acknowledgement that says, Jesus knowing full well what was about to happen to him, left and went to the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is fully aware. He's not being surprised by any of this. It's for this reason that he was born. It's for this reason that he came to the earth. He's about to lay down his life, and it's costly. It's not just that he's going to die, but he's going to die in a horrible way. He's going to suffer. And I'm not trying to be bloody about it. I'm trying to tell you the bottom line is this. You and I deserved it to happen to us because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus was willing to take that punishment on himself. He got what we deserved so we could have what he deserved. And people, they they think about it casually, but it's the most important thing that's ever taken place in the history of mankind. It's what saves all of us and allows us to be in a place where we have a future. So he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and he fell to the ground. He prayed that, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. And this is how he prays, Abba, which is Aramaic for how a child, when he first learns to say, Daddy. Jesus is not appealing because he's a little child. He's appealing from this place inside of him of pure trust with his father. Dad, if there is any way. You know, when I read this, I said it in the last service and I'll say it to you. We live in a day and an age where somehow the enemy has robbed so many people of the ability to understand how good it is to be able to turn to a father who loves you. People today don't relate to it because of their own experience as a child. But what you didn't get by pedigree, you can have through the Holy Spirit. And you can know God this way. He is a good father that you can turn to when you are going through trouble. So we prayed that if it were possible, this awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Dad, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. And then this part. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. Can you imagine counting on your friends, needing them? You're in this moment of grief, telling them. He's been telling them all along, this is what's going to happen to me. I need you right now. You three. The other guys, I love them, but you three, you've been with me through everything. I've explained everything to you. Right now, I need you. And he walks away and he prays and then he comes back and they're all asleep. It would be a little frustrating, a little upsetting, a little like... So he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch or pray with me even one hour? Okay, wake up, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. Then Jesus left a second time and prayed the same prayer as before. Father, everything's possible for you. So if it's possible, please take this cup away from me, but not my will, Lord. Your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say to him when he asked. When he returned to them how many times? Third time. He said, go ahead and sleep now. Have your rest. But know this, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And next week and the week after, we'll go in further to the story of what happened. Most of you know. It's when Jesus ends up in a mock trial and He's whipped and he's beaten and he's crucified. But then we have a resurrection. So using this idea, what if? What if Jesus had said no? What if in the garden he'd have said to the Father, this is just simply too difficult and I can't do it. By the way, this has caused a a theological, theoretical issue with my staff. Could Jesus have said no? Are you sure? Because he's all man and he's all God. And the God part knows what's going on, but the man part knows what's going on. Could the God part have said no? I think the man part might, but it's think about it. It's not as easy as you think. If you go through your mind asking what you know about Jesus, could he have said no? But we're just going to presuppose that he could have said no. So what would have happened if Jesus had said no? But to get there, let me read these three scriptures to you that are important. John ten eighteen. This is Jesus talking. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. God didn't command that Jesus had to do this. God commanded that Jesus has a choice to do this. So he did have a choice in it. He was just willing to do it. Let's go to the second one. Mark 14, 36, we just read, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Here's what he's saying, God, you can do anything. So there has to be a way for you to do something else. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet... I want your will to be done and not mine. And then this third scripture, just to line up with the idea of what if he had said no. Matthew 26, 53, this is Jesus talking now. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, this is interesting. And anybody that likes to study the Bible, let me give you something fun to study. Look up what a legion of angels is, because I cannot find two people in history to agree on how many a legion is. Some people say it's 3,000. Some people say it's 6,000. One guy said it's 60,000 angels. But what we have to do is discern what would be a legion. What was Jesus talking about? So it would be a legion of Roman soldiers is what he's talking about, right? Which is 6,000 men. So think about this for one moment. Jesus is saying 12 legions, 12 times 6 is? 72,000. So let me, let me point out what one angel in the Old Testament, One. Not 72,000. One angel in the Old Testament killed 280,000 men in 24 hours. So if you take that multiplication and you take 72,000, and if one angel can kill 200,000, 72,000 could wipe out the population of the earth two times over today, not then. So Jesus is saying, I have at my disposal this many angels right now. I'm voluntary. Let me ask you this. If God gave that gift to you, how many of you could avoid using it when you were under... (laughs) Wouldn't you love to have that at your disposal in traffic? (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? There's a scripture where um, James and John are walking with Jesus and they come into a city. And the city is mistreating them. The Bible says they're being kind of shoved and they're being called names. Hey, get out of here. And so John turns to Jesus and says, you want me to call down fire from heaven right now? Wouldn't you love to have that gift? (laughs) Tax day? You know what Jesus' answer was to the disciples? You don't know what spirit you're of. That's not my spirit. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost, not destroy that which is lost. And the only thing I'm trying to point out to you right now, if Jesus had changed his mind, at his disposal was everything in the world that could have stopped this. But his willingness to go through this was because he loved you so much. The Bible says, sin entered the world through one man, Adam. Adam. And if you ever read Genesis and you think to yourself, why did Adam do that? Adam is us. And how can I prove it? How many of you have sinned one time? Thank you, four people. The rest of you are lying and that's a sin right now. How many of you have sinned one time? Today. Exactly. we, We all fall short. Every one of us falls short. Jesus was the only perfect one. The only one who didn't deserve to die. And yet he was willing to do it for us. So five things that wouldn't be possible if Jesus hadn't died. Number one, the church. The church would not be here today. The church exists because Jesus did die and he was resurrected. And part of his plan is that this is his body here on the earth. So if Jesus had said no, there wouldn't be any church. And some of you would be like, man, we could sleep in on Sunday. And I would say some of you do that anyway. (laughs) Ooh. Not you. You're here. But those people on the camera back there, no, it's Jesus. Here's the second thing that wouldn't be possible. Heaven. Do you know that people in the Bible before Jesus was resurrected the righteous who died went to a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. And the Bible says that when Jesus died he first descended before he ascended. Where did he go? He went and preached to the captives the Bible says The place where the righteous dead were. And he led captivity captive into heaven. And in the book of Psalms it says, Swing wide you heavenly gates. Prepare the way for the risen Lord to come in. Jesus led captivity captive into heaven. The first time people could go to heaven was when Jesus made the way for people to go to heaven. Heaven would not have been possible unless Jesus died and was resurrected. Let me give you the third one. See if you can agree with this one. This is a little more uh, uh, like freedom. Freedom. And we use that word in terms of like America. We have freedom here. But I'm talking spiritual freedom. Unless Jesus died and was resurrected, the enemy owns you. And he has power over you. And he decides what your future is and what your day looks like and what you're going to end up doing. Because Jesus died and defeated the enemy and took the keys back from the enemy. You're free. And you now have authority over the enemy of your life. You don't have to take the lies. You don't have to take the stuff. You are a child of God with authority to stand up against the enemy. And if you knew who you were in Christ because of what Jesus did, you are powerful. You are not pathetic. You are well able. How about this one? If Jesus had said no, access to the Father was impossible. If you remember the story that after the point that Jesus died, the Bible says in the temple where the Holy of Holies was, there was a huge black cloth that kept people out of the presence of God. God's presence dwelled in the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus died, the Bible says from the top to the bottom, the curtain was torn. And what it represented is that now people can dwell with God and God can dwell with people. We have access to the presence of God because Jesus said yes. And if you don't get that, I'm not sure that you get anything. It's the most important thing. And then here's the one. You're free to debate this. I'm right, however. America would not be here. How do you know that, pastor? Would there be a country here? Yes, it would be called something short of America. But America, this is the final part of the Declaration of Independence. Listen to this. For the support of this declaration, listen to this part. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The founding fathers, regardless of what you have been taught, and I know that some of them were deists and some of them were messed up, but all of them agreed that God through providence brought this country to be about. It could be a place where freedom was established and people could live without the tyranny of what England was doing and other places that held people back from being able to worship God the way they wanted to. And if you go to Washington, D.C., and you look at any monument in Washington, D.C., On it is inscribed a dedication to the God who brought about America by His providence and His protection. And we live in a day that denies that. We live in a day that tries to destroy that. We live in a day that never talks about it. But the truth is, we are here in this great country because God decided America should exist. And that's the truth. And I realize, look, I realize it may be a long way from where it needs to be, but somewhere inside of me is a hope that God will remember how we started and will not let us go our own way without one more time sweeping through this great country and reestablishing the fact that it was brought about by the providence, the will, and the wonderful ability of God. And I love this country, and I'm not going to be afraid to say that to anybody. I love America. I love it. All right. So let's do this. If you're taking notes, I'm going to transition the message now to the part that I think is where the Holy Spirit wants to minister. And these are the the fill-in-the-blanks. So we're just talking about what Jesus went through. The first one is, if you're taking the online notes, your Gethsemane. Your Gethsemane means oil press. Let me try to explain to you what this means. This is part of what I teach when we're in this place. So um, we don't live in a state that raises olives. The climate's not right. You have to be in a different climate to raise olives. California, I know they raise olives. I'm not sure. I think uh, Arizona has them. Nevada has them. It has to be kind of a dry Uh, warm climate, right? So they can't just grow anywhere but around the Mediterranean olives grow like crazy. And we're going back now 2,000 years they don't have modern machinery to extract the oil, they had to do it the old-fashioned way. They put it inside of stone uh, channels and then they'd run a stone uh, wheel over the top of it to squeeze it to get the oil out of it. But when they first uh, harvest the olives, it's very interesting, they put it in burlap sacks And the real ripe ones, all they do to get the oil out of it is they lay the sacks on top of each other. They just stack it up and they use the pressure of the olives on each other to extract the oil that's first to come out. And that's called extra virgin olive oil. So when you go to the store and you buy extra virgin olive oil, you're buying the oil that has the least bitter part of it, right? It's the best oil you can buy. Then the next oil, after that happens, they take the olives. And they dump it in the trough and then they begin to run the wheel over it. And the next press they'd get is called the virgin olive oil. So there's extra virgin and then virgin. And then to extract the last bit of oil out of it, they take that big heavy stone and they begin to crush the olives. And all that's left is the pulp and the pit, but they squeeze out of it this incredibly bitter oil because the more you crush it, the more bitter it becomes. Jesus wasn't lightly pressed. He was crushed for our sins. The Bible says it pleased the Father to crush the Son. Now, it doesn't mean that God is a psycho. It means that God understood that the only way to wash away our sins is that someone had to pay the price for our sins. So in ancient times, when they would crush the olives, and they would get that very last bit of oil out of it they would take that oil and that bitter bitter oil would make an incredibly powerful soap and it was very valuable because it was the only soap at that time that could scrub away all the stuff on the skin that would gather from walking in a very dry climate and the thing to understand is that Jesus was crushed for us so that the Lord could take the gift of his life and use it to scrub away your sin It's the only thing that can take away your sin. Nothing else will do it. His death was not some gross thing or some religious thing. You and I were fallen away from God. We are all sinners. We fall short of God's glory. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And this is not a cliche. Jesus took our place so that we could have his place. Because if he didn't die for us, you'd have to die for your sin. This gospel that I'm preaching right now is not one that says, hey, make me feel good. People are afraid to talk about what Jesus did and afraid to talk about the blood and afraid to talk about the fact that it took this in order for you and I to have a relationship with God. But if you don't preach this to people, what are you preaching to them? Come to church and let me make you happy. The only way to be fully happy is to know that you're forgiven and when you die, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? I wrote in my notes, it's not in yours, it's, uh, it's this thought right here. You're Gethsemane. I don't, want to, I don't want to compare what Jesus did at Gethsemane to something that we go through that hurts and is costly. But this isn't to lower what Jesus went through. It's to elevate that when you go through things, God understands what it's like to go through a Gethsemane. He knows that when you're facing something that is not just like, hey, this is a little bit difficult. When you're facing something that seems like, God, this is going to kill me. He understands. So I wrote in my notes this idea. Every believer in this room, if you love Jesus, and I don't care what your background is, I don't care how old or young, male or female, educated, uneducated, new on the spectrum of faith or you've walked with God 40 years every believer in this room will have experiences where God decides you're not going to go around this you're not going to go over this and you can't back up from it the only way through is to go through this Gethsemane and when I um, yesterday Terry and I uh, Terry and I are foodies and they built a Whataburger down in Colorado Springs and if you don't know what burger is, the Lord has not blessed you yet with full understanding of burger heaven. You're like, we have In-N-Out. Wouldn't you rather have two great things than one great thing? So Terry calls me, and he goes, hey, let's go down to Colorado Springs and get a burger. So I'm telling Terry about the message, and I'm saying, Terry, I'm going to talk about people going through their own Gethsemane. What kind of Gethsemanes do people have? And so we're naming off different things, but here's the problem with that. I, I could name seven or eight things that I could think of, but that's not going to cover the gamut of what people are going through in this room. And I'm trying to give you a different perspective right now on what may be happening in your life. Oftentimes when we come to a place where we feel like, God, I don't want to do that. God, that's too hard. God, why would you require that of me? We, we begin to rebuke it. This can't be the Lord's will. God doesn't want this for me. And I'm trying to tell you, if you love God and you follow him, there will be times in your life where the only way is through. And you have to be willing to submit to the process that this may kill me. And I will say this, that a resurrection is only possible if there's a death. And the cliche is, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Exactly. And it's not the message that's preached much in church anymore. But the truth of the matter is, if you love Jesus, His purpose in your life is not just your comfort, it's your character. And He's going to grow you. And He's going to make of you. And he's not mean, he's good. What's your Gethsemane? What's your oil press? What feels like it's killing you right now? What can you look at and you're trying to avoid? The easiest examples for me are always the one that happened to us. The ones that we've gone through and it felt like it was killing us, but on the other side of it was resurrection. Right now, a difficult one. I have to be careful sometimes. Sometimes. If I stall, it's not because I forget, it's because I'm choosing carefully my words right now, okay? And if you could think like, if you're going to use an example from your family, how that exposes your family, right? We're going through something with parents right now. And I'm sure some of you have gone in front of us. Aging is a horrible thing. And without revealing too much about it right now, it just like, it's so difficult. And trying to decide what we do and how we do it and how do we help and how do we take care. And I want to be more specific because it would be more, but I got to be protective right now. And you find yourself where you're just like, God, I, this stinks. This stinks don't want to do this. This cannot be. God, why is it like this? And the only way is through it. There's no backing up. There's no going around it. It's where we are. It's what we have to do. We've got to figure it out. And you feel like you're going to die. Or that the people you love are going to die. And you're just like, no! And God, where are you in this? And yet, we always claim that can't be God. But it very much is God. Gethsemane not of the devil sometimes it's God's purpose in our life to get us where we need to be to grow us to mature us God's number one aim in your life is not to make you more comfortable it's to make you look more like Jesus know what you're signing up for guys know what you're signing up for when God's done with you I know you're like why does he always pick on us? because I like you guys that's why I do are you there mom? yeah you got good kids you've done well yeah I like you guys. But know what you're signing up for. It's not always about just how do I feel better and how do I get every prayer answered the way I want it answered. It's about a king and a kingdom. And if you love God, you submit to the king. And sometimes to submit to the king means we go through things that are a Gethsemane. What's your Gethsemane? You know, I I look around and I see see a lot of young people and I think to myself, have they lived long enough to have a Gethsemane yet, right? But you know, age doesn't have anything really to do with a Gethsemane because they can come in all different forms and places. A divorce can be a Gethsemane. A death can be a Gethsemane. A financial ruin can be a Gethsemane. The death of a relationship can be a Gethsemane. Sometimes going through it is the plan of God. I wrote these five things down because I thought maybe they help. If you're in a Gethsemane, here's what Jesus did. I thought this was, I saw this for the first time. Like I've read it a thousand times, but I never saw how Jesus handled his Gethsemane. These are five things that Jesus did going through Gethsemane that helped him. Number one, he prayed. Three times we saw Jesus pray. If you go through a Gethsemane and you're not a person who knows how to pray, you will learn how to talk in tongues in Gethsemane. You will learn to pray. And you will pray like you've never prayed before. Jesus turned to his friends during Gethsemane. I know that they went to sleep, and yet Jesus must have found some kind of encouragement in having his friends there. And this is what I'm going to say. You find out if you have friends or not when you go through Gethsemane. And you need friends. And we live in a day and an age, I don't know what it is about Gethsemane, but mostly we isolate ourselves rather than reach out to people. And we need to do what Jesus did. Reach out to the ones who are close to you and let them come alongside and encourage you. And then, how about this one? I thought this was really interesting. Jesus turned to nature. He didn't stay in the upper room, he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. What is it about nature that's so good when we need to talk to God? But think about that. And then the Bible says in one of the translations that as soon as he prayed, an angel came and ministered to him, encouraged him. We need encouragement. And the last thing that you need to do in Gethsemane is surrender. Jesus ultimately surrendered to the will of the Father. John 15, 2. This is what Jesus told the disciples about the Lord. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. If I were to say, how many of you would love to be pruned? Come on down and I'll pray for you. (laughs) I don't see any hands go up. Yes, brave man right there. You know, the only way you could say God prune me is when you know that in his hands you're going to be okay. Look at this. God is good all the time or he's not good at all. He's good in Gethsemane and he's good when he's blessing you. He's good when it breaks and he's good when it heals. He's good when he multiplies and he's good when he takes away. Yes or no? He's always good. And coming to the point of view that God is always good no matter what's going on in my life is so important so that you can surrender. Here's the second one, never forsaken. Mark 15, 34. Look at this. I love this scripture right here. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is Aramaic for my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Pastor, you love that scripture? That's a terrible scripture. Here's why I love it. Jesus, from the time he was born to this point at 33 years old, never experienced one moment in his life where he wasn't connected to the Father. And suddenly on the cross, the one thing Jesus didn't count on was that he would feel alone all by himself and rejected of the Father. Why is this in the Bible? He was rejected so you never have to feel one moment of your life that God rejected you. He was beaten so you don't have to be beaten. He was despised so you don't have to be despised. He was rejected so you don't have to be rejected. It's not cliche. It's the truth. Jesus felt forsaken so that you never have to one day agree with the devil that God has forsaken you. Jesus promised, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. No matter how you feel in Gethsemane. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what pruning, no matter what death, no matter what hurt, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And it is the liar against your soul who whispers in your ear, God has left you. And you must tell him, God has never left me. Jesus felt that, so I don't need to feel that. And this may hurt right now, and it may be costly right now, but the outcome of this is resurrection. And there is no resurrection without a Gethsemane. There's no multiplication without Gethsemane. Here's the third one. Uh, I have a little more time in the service, don't I? I'm four minutes in. I mean, nobody else is coming in. <laughs> when I say Jesus took our place so we could have his place... Um, I'll come halfway back. Some of you will have to watch on the screen. And I'll do this back here so that those who come in the back get a better view. Can I use you guys? Thank you. You don't know what you're submitting to. God's always good, but I'm not. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let me... Okay. So, in the Old Testament, this was a demonstration of how um, that the Lord was trying to show us already that he switches places. Like what belonged to Jesus we get and what belonged to us Jesus gets. So the patriarchs of our faith are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has many sons. One of his sons is Joseph. The story of Joseph is that his brothers hated him because his father loved him so much, bought him that special coat of many colors. They sold him into slavery. And he ends up in Egypt, and through a series of events, he ends in Potiphar's house, and then he's in prison. He ends up being the second most powerful person in all of Egypt, which is the second most powerful position in the world at that time. And God has put him in that place to save many people. And there is a famine that goes worldwide for seven years. It's a terrible famine. And eventually, because of Joseph's wisdom, uh, Egypt has all the grain. And all of the world comes to Egypt to buy grain, including his brothers who had sold him into slavery. And the story goes that eventually his father ends up in Egypt. Joseph reveals himself. And Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And when it's time for his father, Jacob, to die, he brings his sons because they believe that the patriarch can bestow the blessing of the firstborn. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn among all of us. He's the first. And he deserves the blessing of the firstborn, which is you get the lion's share of the inheritance. You get all the good stuff. If you were born second, too bad for you. If you were born last, really too bad for you. Being first, in this case, is really important. And Jesus is the firstborn. That's what the Bible says. So he takes his two boys, the oldest and the youngest, and he brings them to his father, Jacob. And he wants his father to bless them. So he places the oldest right by his father's right hand. And he places the youngest right by the father's left hand. And then Jacob does the switcheroo. He reaches out to bless him, but he switches hands. And he puts the right hand on the younger son. And he puts the left hand on the older son. And Joseph tries to stop him. Dad, you're making a terrible mistake. Because here's what they believed. Once it was prayed over, it couldn't be taken back. There's no way to undo this. So his father goes, I'm not making a mistake. This is the will of God. God gives the blessing of the firstborn to the secondborn. And he gives the lesser to the firstborn. And it's a picture of what Jesus did for us. We got the firstborn blessing that belonged to Jesus. And Jesus took the second, the place of punishment, the place of lefts. For our sake. Do you get it? It's a picture all through Scripture. This is not something they came up with in the New Testament. The Bible symmetry is perfect all the way throughout it. The message has always been Jesus takes our place so that we can have his place. And you can have the blessing of the firstborn today if you say to the Lord, I want that. He took what we deserved So we could have what he deserved. And I say that and the problem with saying it, Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching. Preaching is so weak to try to explain these serious, heavy, important, life-changing events that if you get this, it's every... Church is boring without understanding what Jesus has done for us. Why would we gather together and waste our time on a Sunday morning if this isn't true and if it's not powerful? If this doesn't change everything, why are we sitting here? It changes everything. This is God saying in the loudest possible way, I love you. I've given everything for you. Come to me and let me give you this blessing. And why would you say no to that? And that's where I feel like, man, it's so hard. But it's so hard to preach because you come to this place and unless the Holy Spirit takes it and can drive it into a person's heart, then you leave here smarter, but you don't leave here changed. Changed. And if you're not changed by this, then I fail. And the gospel falls short. Not that it failed, but it didn't do the thing that it can do in a person's heart, which is to change everything. I would take whatever time it took. I I mean... To have him still today, reach his hand out, it's just so powerful. And you can read that scripture over and over, but unless you know this is what God has done for us through Jesus, it's the power of prophecy. Are you recording me right now? (laughs) This is all copyrighted material. (laughs) I'm teasing. Here's the third one. Death and resurrection. John 12, 24. Verily, uh, very, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces what? This is, this is the miracle of the kind of death that we're talking about right here. Like God gives you this thing, this seed, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's a hope, maybe it's a person, a relationship, Uh, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a church, maybe it's a a son, a daughter, who knows what it is, and at some point God asks you, give me that thing. He did it with Abraham. Abraham waits a hundred years to get a child, and as soon as he gets it, what does God say? Sacrifice him to me. What? And I've heard people debate that. Do you know what the Bible says? Abraham reasoned that if God could give him a son in his old age, he could raise him from the dead too. And that made it easy for him to say, I can sacrifice him to God. But there are times that God requires us what he put in your hand, he requires you to give back to him and sacrifice. And that's where we go, no. You can't, this is the thing that I waited for. And he's like, if you will trust me, that thing will become much instead of single. And that is so hard for people to do. And maybe that's the very place that you find yourself today where God is asking you to give him something. Maybe it's a place. Maybe it's a time. Maybe it's, I I don't even, the problem with me trying to think of it is I'll miss so many people. What is it that God is asking right now? You know he's asking you of it and you don't want to give it up. And this is where you have to trust that God is good. He's not evil. He's not trying to harm you. And his plan is resurrection, not death. Maybe it's the death of a vision, a dream, a place, a hope, a relationship, a season, a job, an investment. Can you trust him with it? And sometimes God's purposes are simply, listen to this, much bigger and far more centered on your growth and not just your comfort. I tried to tell the service before you. The Bible says that we live in the kingdom of God. And all kingdoms have one common denominator. If there's a kingdom, there has to be a a king. You live in a kingdom. And we live in a day where we make the kingdom about us. It's all about me. I'm gonna tell you the truth right now. Listen to your pastor. The kingdom of God is not about you. It's about the king. And when you decide to follow God, you bow your knee to the king, and if he says we're going this direction, even if you think, That's, I don't want to do that, you have to trust the king. Amen. This is called lordship. So, boys, young men, real quick, if you could learn this right now, lordship, that God, your life belongs to God and he can do with whatever he wants and he's good, dude, you'll be so far ahead, so far ahead. And older people, I won't let my li- eyes land any particular place as I, as I say. I'm <laughs> older Older people. This might be the missing element for why your Christianity never quite works out. Why you get everything else but this one thing where you're just like, why doesn't it work out? For me? Why don't I see the miracles? and Why would I pray? Why don't I see it? It's about lordship. When God can trust you to bow the knee then he can trust you with the other. And here's what we want. Everybody wants resurrection, but nobody wants to die. And this isn't a death with message by any stretch of the imagination, but it totally is one. We drink so much milk and consume so much pablum that when someone preaches meat to us, we choke on it like, oh, how could this be true? Because this is the way of the cross. If you're my disciples, take up your cross and follow me. And we'd much rather take up a sword and fight. And Jesus said, no, I want you to take up a cross and die. In the death, though, is resurrection. I'm trying. I know it's not a rah-rah. I'll close it with this. Every time Jesus gets his hands on bread, he does the same thing over and over. Check it out in the scripture. Anytime, how about the fish and the loaves? So, Cheryl, this is awesome. The fish and the loaves. Jesus is out preaching. Uh, one point, it's 4,000. At one point, it's 5,000. Besides women and children, I maybe mean, it's 15,000 people. They're out in the desert someplace, and the disciples go, Hey, uh, Jesus, you need to stop preaching. Because these people are going to starve to death. There's no 7-Eleven around here. There's no hotels. Let them go. And Jesus is like, No, you give them something to eat. Which is a challenge. What do we have? There's a kid over here who has a few, li- a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Bring them to me. Every time Jesus gets bread in his hands, he does these three things. He blesses it. He breaks it. And then he gives it. And in the giving is the multiplication. And this is more a metaphor for your life than it is anything else. So listen to me very carefully. You represent that bread in his hands. And there's time in life where he's blessing you. And it's, it's circular. Like, I believe this about following Christ. You sometimes are blessed. You're sometimes broken. And sometimes you're being given out in multiplication. Yes or no? And if you're being blessed right now, celebrate. Rejoice. Eat, drink, and be merry. Don't worry about pursuing being broken. It'll find you. You don't have to worry about that at all. You be blessed while you're blessed. The Lord wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to be blessed but life is not only about being blessed. So while you're being blessed, celebrate. But then there's also the times where we're being broken. What does brokenness look like? Sometimes it's, it's jobs. It's children. It's health. I love you. It's things that are too deep inside of us. To even say out loud to somebody else. So there's times that we're blessed and there's times that we're broken. And in this case, when the Lord took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it, he didn't give it out and it didn't suddenly turn into mounds of bread. He handed it the little pieces to the disciple and they started handing it out of a basket. And it was like the oil in the Old Testament that never ran out. It's not that the bread kept multiple. It's just that every time they reached in there, there was one more piece to give. One more piece to give. And the reason that God will sometimes break you is because there's a multiplication effect that you've been praying for. God, bless me. God, do more with me. God, increase me. Okay, then put yourself in my hands and let me break you so that in the multiplication is everything that you're asking for right now. I don't know if all of you can accept this message. And the beautiful thing about it is you can reject this and Jesus still loves you and you'll go to heaven. But you'll be stuck short of living this miraculous life that I'm calling you to right now. And if you've been praying, look at me real quick. How many of you have been praying, God bless me? And if you don't pray that, something's wrong with you. You should be praying, God bless me. If you pray that, then let me tell you what you're praying. God, I put myself into your hands, and I let you decide how to do that. Which the Lord may say, those that I love, I prune so that I can get more from. Yeah, but God, I'm already blooming. I know. (laughs) And that's not going to be anything compared to where I'm taking you. But why am I having to go through this right now? Because what I'm doing for you is so much more than you have any idea about right now. And in the giving of it is a multiplication that is so powerful that the only thing you can do at that point is to thank God. Because it could have only been by the hand of God. You weren't smart enough to make it happen in your life. You were smart enough to put yourself in his hands. Do I make sense? And if you're like, I, Pastor, I just don't know, pray about it. Go back and read the scriptures. See if what I'm saying is true or not. If you have a different take on it, come tell me. Show me that I'm wrong. It's okay. It's okay. But if I'm right, what will you do with it? If I'm right, what will you do with this? Like if your Christianity is only like in the moment on a Sunday, if this doesn't work out there in the world, then you got the wrong brand of this thing. If this isn't powerful against the enemy of your soul, then you're not, you haven't tapped into what God has for you if like the pressure that the world throws up is bigger than what I'm saying right now, then this needs to become the bigger thing so that the pressure on the outside just begins to fade. There's an urgency in this pastor to get a church ready for days in front of us that are going to be so awesome and yet they're going to cause people to have to say, Ugh, I don't know if I bargained for that, but it'll be worth it. So worth it. Okay. Um, let's do this I'm going to minister to people but I realize it's gone long what's new I know, I know but you know what, I, just so that you know and maybe this will help you figure out if you want to go to church here I'm not living by this I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do I'm going to preach as long as I need to preach and I'm going to get us where we need to go and if you're like, I don't have time for that dude, I don't know what to say to you may the Lord change your mind, I guess may my voice haunt you all week long <laughs> if you need to go I understand and perhaps you, you need to be someplace, you need to, you have an appointment whatever so if you need to go I'm going to ask you without making a lot of noise and a lot just, it's okay go ahead and go right now because I need to minister to people so if you need to go, don't be embarrassed don't feel, it's not awkward you're not a bad Christian, you're not a backslider you're not anything negative, you can go I just don't want you to interrupt what's about to take place. So I'm asking you, if you need to go, go. Okay? You can wait till we bow our heads. Ryan, where are you going? No. <laughs> I was waiting for one person to do it. one person. How bad is that? <laughs> and you were the sacrificial lamb, my son. <laughs> what's wrong with your soul, bro? What is... No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, He said I heard last service. Okay. So here's what I want to do. Listen, this is going to be a holy moment, and I mean this right now. This is not casual. We are about to, we're going to go into the presence of the Lord very directly. We're going to enter the throne room, and the Holy Spirit is going to be available to help us right now. So this is very serious, and it's very holy, and I want to treat it as such. So that when I ask you to bow your heads, would you? and I ask you to pray with me and if you need to go now's the time go it's okay but while you have your heads bowed I'm going to ask you to respect the fact that this is a holy moment and that some people right now this is the difference between life and death for some people and you go pastor you're being dramatic no I'm not and it may not be physical but some death is worse than physical death We're talking on spiritual things right now. It's strange because my heart is beating out of my chest right this minute. And I know it's the Holy Spirit. And I've done this for 36 years now. I don't get nervous anymore, but this is holy. Holy. Put down defenses right now. Put down excuses. Put down all the stuff that gets in the way for just a moment. And I'm trying to facilitate on behalf of the Lord. That's my job. And the reason I didn't try to name all the Gethsemanes that a person might be going through is because I realized that no human can figure those things out. And then listen to this. Even if I knew what your Gethsemane is, I can't do anything about it. I can't change it. I'm not God. So all I am is a facilitator. I'm trying to lead you to the one who knows and who cares and has drawn us into this place right now where he can help he wants to come alongside he wants you to know he'll always be with you he'll never leave you he'll never forsake you so listen if you go pastor somehow in what you're saying I find myself drawn to a place in my life where I know that God is asking for surrender. It's a Gethsemane moment. Maybe you feel like you're being crushed right now. Maybe a better word is you feel like you're being broken right now. Maybe you feel afraid, unsure. Maybe you want to run. Maybe I catch you right now in the middle of you trying to run away. And suddenly the Holy Spirit, he just arrests you, he stops you. And he says, the way is through. Not away from it, not around it, not above it or below it, but through it. And the promise, if you go through this thing, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you, and that out of that is the miraculous. On the other side of Gethsemane is resurrection. On the other side of Gethsemane is multiplication. On the other side of brokenness is the place where God does all the things that we pray and we ask. And I know, I know my heart. My heart is, God, can't you do those things without me having to go through that? I can tell you one of the reasons why we have to be willing to be broken. We have to die to ourselves. Is so that we can handle the thing that God wants to do in our life. If flesh controls your life, the blessing of God will be a disaster. But if you are more like Jesus, love and joy and peace and kindness and mercy and gentleness and self control, that's the nature that God is transforming you inside. And we try to avoid that. We want it, but we avoid it because it's costly. And if I catch you in mid-stride right now and you're like, oh pastor, please not this it's not your pastor who's asking it's the Father's caring, loving hands that are trying to take you through something you go, but it's painful, I know and I don't want it, I know pastor if there's any other way I know but can you also pray God not my will but your will be done can you trust him enough to say those words God not my will but your will be done can you believe that his will is good that the very thing that you want that you're praying and asking God to do that God's heard your prayer. He's not cruel. He's not playing with you. He's not messing up your life. He loves you. And my words are so insufficient to... (sighs) Holy Spirit, could you right now could you part all the things that are in the way? People, distance, like you parted the Red Sea. Can you part the things out of the way so that you can just simply come? You could be with us right now. So in this holy moment, and again, I'm a facilitator. I'm not the answer I'm the facilitator but the Holy Spirit is here Jesus is here and if you go pastor it's me and I'm in a place right now I just I don't want to be there I want to run from it I want to open my eyes and find out it was all just a bad dream. But instead today you hear the Lord saying, come on, we're going to go through this. And the outcome, it's a resurrection. It's more than you ever thought possible. And if that's you and you just say, pastor, would you pray for me today? I need God to help me. I need his grace. I need his mercy. It's okay to say you don't even know if you can do it. But God knows. And if you just say, Pastor, will you pray for me today? Remember, it's a holy moment. No one's looking at you. And I'm a facilitator. Pastor, pray for me today. Would you just raise your hand if that's you? Just pray for me. Yeah, yeah. Hold them up for a second. No one's looking. And the only reason I'm looking is to see what I'm praying for. Yeah, it's many of us. You can put them back down. Father, you are so good, you are so kind and you were so able and Lord I don't know what each Gethsemane is I don't know what each place is I don't know if it's physical if it's spiritual if it's emotional I don't know if it's the person or if it's a person that they're close to I just know right now Lord that people are being honest in front of you and you respect that when we make any move towards you you come running towards us And Lord, every person that raises their hand right now, God, they need you. They need your grace, your work in their life. They need your help. They need your peace. They need your presence. They need the miraculous. Father, as people trust you today, Lord, manifest yourself in their life in a completely new way that they had no idea. Show them, God, that it's not a foolish decision that says, I'll surrender. It's the right decision to say, I will surrender. That you're careful. The way you lead us and the way you care for us, the enemy's not going to have us. The world's not going to have us. God, you have us. You hold us in your hand and no one can snatch us from there. And God, I realize I don't want to be trite about this. I know people are facing things in their life. It may be life or death physically for them right now as they're coming to terms with God. I just don't know if I can do this. God, draw close. God, breathe upon us. Renew us. Strengthen us and help us. And that when we leave today, it's not like we just left church, but it's like we go with the presence of the Lord with us. The battle's not mine, it's the Lord's. God, do what only you can do and help us today. Thank you for your faithfulness, Father. Lord, we bow our knee to you. Have all of us. Thank you for your kindness. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.